You're listening to the Exhibitionist Podcast, hosted by Nicola Reader and brought to you by InspiringExhibitors.com and ProExtra, a wholly owned subsidiary of 12th Man Solutions Limited. Hi there and welcome to episode 22 of the Exhibitionist Podcast. I'm Nicola Reader, your host, and as always, we are delighted to have you join us. On this week's episode, we will be handing over shortly to the conversation we had with industry heavyweight Andrew Reid of William Reid, who's talking to us about all things exhibitioning in his career and also ordering live animals for some events that he's been involved in. So stay tuned for that one. Before we get to that conversation, I just wanted to pick up on something that we wrote about in the blog last week that has been gathering a little bit of momentum and getting some really good feedback. And that was our trip to the Game of Thrones exhibition last week in Belfast. Now, if you're not a Game of Thrones fan, please don't hit the pause button or the stop button at this point and think that there's nothing of interest for you in this conversation, because I'm really hoping that there will be. So as much as I'm a little exhibition geek, I am also a little Game of Thrones geek, although I have to say I don't necessarily get every single little bit of power play that's going in there. I just like the characters, or I dislike many of the characters, actually. So when we heard the touring exhibition was coming over to Belfast, we thought we'd nip over there, have a look around and see what it was all about. Now, we're used to spending a lot of our time on the show floor of trade exhibitions, and the alternative word of exhibition, as in a showcase of artwork or an installation of some type, is quite different. So we just thought, was there anything that we could learn from that type of an exhibition that actually would be meaningful and relevant to exhibitors? And there was quite a lot, actually. So if you hop over to the blog at www.inspiringexhibitors.com, you can read about all the things that captured our eye. But the two things I wanted to pick up on today were community and differentiation. So starting with that point of community, one thing that felt brilliant as we walked into the Game of Thrones touring exhibition was that we were with lots of like-minded people. And while Game of Thrones can be quite divisive in the outside world, some people love it, some people hate it, actually we were with our tribe and we were all together, we were all in our geeky t-shirts, we were all there with our cameras at the ready, we all knew exactly who Jon Snow and Arya Stark were. And we were there together. This was our club. And that felt brilliant. And that you could spend that couple of hours just surrounded by like-minded people. You could scream in delight when you saw the Hall of Faces. You could shriek when you walked through the crypt. You could stroke a dragon's head. And nobody thought you were a bit weird, which we probably were for an afternoon. But what does that mean for exhibitions and trade shows? I think it's really about how you build that community. So we're hearing much more about how Younger people, millennials, as they're starting to come through, are wanting more experiences than things. They're much more interested in creating memories and being entertained at the things that they go to. They want to talk about something that they touched or felt or smelt or tasted rather than just something they were given or some information. So building that community of like-minded people, of fans who love your products or your service, starts a long time before you hit the show floor. And that's really about engaging in all that pre-show marketing to get some feedback from your fans about what they want to see from you at the show, what they're hoping to find out and maybe network with other people. Where in that community have you got people you can put together? So people who could work collaboratively on projects uh, or people who are like-minded and can solve a problem. So that sense of community just felt brilliant. And I think if in any way as an exhibitor or even an event organiser, 
you can find really creative ways to build that community where you all feel like you're in it together. You're fighting for the common common cause. You're trying to solve a problem in your industry. Then I think that can really, really help you as an exhibitor to extend your footprint beyond just the show that you're working on. One example from a client we're currently working with in the digital construction industry is around one of their key experts, one of the knowledge leaders within the industry, who's really built up a presence and a profile over the years and is known for being an expert and leading a lot of projects in the digital construction world. And actually, they have a little bit of fun with that. He's the personality of the business. He quite often does um, a lot of speaker slots and even things like uh, where they're giving away free cookies, maybe from their stand. They've got fans coming up and saying, oh, my gosh, his brain's baked into these cookies. Do we get a little bit of his knowledge if we have one of these? And it's kind of building that fan base and that community around that. So if you can find the reason for why people can come together around your product and your service, then it's a great way of building those fans beyond the, just the footprint of the show. So the second thing I wanted to talk about was differentiation. And this was just to really highlight how important it is to make sure you've got different mediums and different channels for people to get information and insight from you during an event. So over at the Game of Thrones exhibition, we were there with... Um, a couple of friends who were a little bit older than us and certainly had very different interests. So um, one friend was very much into needlework and craft. So seeing the costumes up close and the intricacies of what had gone into that costume making was really what made it exciting for her. There were other people who were really into the swords and wanted to be standing and being the hero with the swords and um, creating the, the poses that um, they'd seen their heroes making in the shows. Um, for me, the Hall of Face is where I could go and take my photograph and wait for it to pop up somewhere on that iconic picture of, of uh, the Hall of Faces was was the thing that I just, they had to drag me away from, to be honest. I think they called security at one point. But that's where I wanted to spend my time. And there was just a lot of different things to do, whether you were just walking through something at your own pace, whether you were going around with an audio guide so that you could get all the very intricate details about everything that was on display, whether you just wanted to quickly read the maybe 50-word imprint next to an exhibit and that was enough for you and then move on to the next thing. It just all depended on what you were particularly interested in as to where you spent the most of your time. And quite often we will see exhibitors saying, we need TV screens, we need some literature, we need to have some graphics boards and we need a giveaway. And that's because that's the rules of exhibitions. They don't really think about what role is each of those different mediums playing for different people based on how different people want to learn. So what is it about a brochure that somebody who loves a brochure really needs to get from that? It is more detailed, definitely, but it's kind of quite structured um, and it needs to give them a lot of things so that they feel they have a lot of knowledge before they go and talk to somebody else. If somebody's very visual, then big pictures, big images of, of things on your graphics work really well for them in being able to pick up information quickly. So as much as a lot of people say, yeah, we, we will have all those different mediums, sometimes maybe there's not as much thought going into why you need those different uh, mediums and the roles that they're playing and actually what might be driving somebody's decision to either pick up a brochure or watch a video or interact with a game. And we are all very different. So the more different things you can have on your stand to really help people get the best out of it, then the best chance you have of making the right connection with the people who really matter. So I could talk for the next 40 minutes about how brilliant the Game of Thrones exhibition was and I could probably have hundreds of our listeners coming back to me and saying that, um, what am I going on about Game of Thrones is rubbish, it's a load of nonsense. So I just hope whether you love it or hate it, that made some sense and you got something out of it. 
Um, I'm sure far more importantly, you would like to hear from our guest this week, Andrew Reed of William Reed. So I will hand over to who to him now and hope you enjoy the conversation. So on this week's episode of the Exhibitionist podcast, we are delighted to have with us Andrew Reed, who is MD of Events and Exhibitions at William Reed. So Andrew, welcome to the show. Hello. So today we are looking at getting all your weird and wonderful stories from years spent in the industry. Uh, but before we get into that, can you just give us a quick review of your history, background, experience and the current role that you're involved in? Well, for, it rather depends on how far you want to go back. But um, and if you're talking about my experience in the live events world, um, I suppose I could probably go back to when I was the entertainment officer in the officers mess, the night 12 Lancers. Um, and we did all the um, summer party planning and um, all that sort of stuff, which was which was great fun actually. And it did it taught you quite a lot about um, actually from an operational side of it how to build things. Um, so we used to transform the mess into um, out of Africa themes and Tarzan huts and all that sort of stuff just by using you know simple materials. Um, it was that was a bit of a challenge. I have to say that one when we had Tarzan because. Um, in those days, um, well, I went down to the local zoo and I asked them if we could borrow a couple of lions. So we had uh, parked up on the lawn. Uh, we painted a Land Rover, black and white stripes, and put a built a cage. And we had um, two live lions parked up on the lawn um, for that party, which was um, which was a bit of a bit of a novelty, a um, bit of a challenge. Um, but I don't think you get away with that nowadays. Um, Can I ask that was, Andrew? Where that was a long time ago. Were you Tarzan in that situation? No, I wasn't. No, 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 no. The commanding <laughs> officer was Tarzan and his wife was Jane. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, so done all sorts of things. And then um, I sort of got into the industry back in 2000 when we actually bought some shows. Um, we bought the, the what's now the National Convenience Show, Court Show and Food and Drink Expo. Then we bought the restaurant show and then we launched a few bits and pieces since then. Um, and... That's kind of how I got into it, really. Um, people, uh, logistics, timing, um, and treating people as people, opposed to just because you're wearing a grey suit doesn't mean you're a grey person. You can actually be a perfectly normal person and you still enjoy the same jokes and you still enjoy looking at the same things in the same way. And just as I say, just because you put a suit on to go to work doesn't make, you, make it a boring process. Absolutely. <clears throat> Having worked with you on a couple of occasions, Andrew, I am absolutely sure no one could accuse you of being a great person in a great suit. <laughs> <laughs> so almost 20 years in the exhibitions and live events arena now. So what are the biggest changes? That, that sounds rather seen? too long for me, thanks. Makes <laughs> 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 you sound very, feel very old. <laughs> but you must have seen lots of things changing and evolving in 20 years. What do you think are the, the biggest changes you've seen in the industry? But... It's really interesting to say lots of things have changed in the industry. Actually, there isn't a huge amount of core stuff that has changed. So you, you hire a hall, you fill it with stands, and the stands are basically the same principle as they were before. So you, you have a shell scheme stand, oop, and I remember 20 years ago talking about shell scheme as a commodity and electricity and all the rest of it. So for, from the sort of the basic structure of the, of the business model hasn't really changed. Some of the, the way in which it's executed has changed because the technology has evolved and we no longer use pigeons to promote shows. Um, and we've gone through the Royal Mail and we're now into e-marketing 
and social marketing, social media marketing. But the basic principle is, you know, is very similar. That you you got to get people to go from their desk, commit some time to get to your show, and then when they come there, <clears throat> in the old days it was a bit of a novelty, as in sort of 50 years ago, it was a novelty going to a show. Um, so that was all you had to do. And I suppose. The area which we now focus on hugely, and we were, I think, one of the first organisers to be doing this, was really focusing on content. So you've got to give people lots of reasons to attend, and the most important reason, we think, is about delivering quality content which is relevant for the visitor. So when we were talking about, for the sake of argument, Farm Shop and Delhi Show, which we call the Farm Shop and Deli Show because it is for farm shops and delicatessens. All of that promotional stuff to the visitors is done on social media because they don't really have a dedicated traditional media uh, route. And then when you're talking to them, they are they they classify themselves as farm shops and delicatessens. Now, you know, technically, because I come from a or I work for a publishing company, you know, controlled circulation. If you receive a convenience store magazine, you have to be selling eight of the following 10 products. <laughs> and you go through the profile of what it is. And you know, extraordinarily, the classifications of all those products is exactly the same as you sell in a farm shop and delicatessen, apart from fags and mags. They don't tend to sell fags and mags, but they sell greetings cards. They sell all sorts of things. But if you talk to them as, well, you're a convenience store because you've got very good parking, it's very easy to get to, they just go, no, I'm not. I'm a farm shop. I'm not interested. So I think the, the content and then the language in which you speak to people is really important. And it's interesting you say that. It feels a real challenge about how you try and appeal to a broad audience, but be kind of targeted enough in your messaging. You, obviously, you want to appeal to as many people as you possibly can, but you need to be really clear that you're talking to them in a way that they understand there's something in it for me. Well, I, 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 agree, I agree with that, but... Um, I'm not a great believer in chasing numbers. Um, I'm, in, I, I'm interested in visitor density. In other words, how many, meet, how many people do you have per square meter for the duration of the show? Because if you go back to my first comment about parties, all the best parties happen in the smallest rooms. Always in that you mates around, there's parties going on outside of the, you know, t- today of all days, and it's 35 degrees. There'll be a party going on outside, but the best part would be happening in the kitchen with a, with a few people having a bit of a natter. And it was always the way where you get people closely knit um, in a re- reasonably confined space. They um, they have to have a good blast. And I think it's really important that we focus on, as I said, the visitor density. And then the whole point of our stuff is about relevance. So I don't, I'm not interested in frequency. I'm not interested in volume. I'm interested in relevance. And and that might sound really pedantic, but actually it's really important because somebody will come to an event if it is relevant to them. They won't come to the event for a million and one other reasons, like free parking, a free bacon sandwich and a free this and a free that. If it's relevant, they'll come. And I think a lot of us focus on, you know, got to be the biggest numbers, got to be this, got to be that. And actually, it, it's not really important. If you get the right people that are relevant in the room, then it'll be a, a success. So our mantra here is very much now about relevance opposed to um, chasing some ridiculous number because you know, the ridiculous number never go to every single stand. And as I was talking to one of our exhibitors yesterday, they were saying, how many visitors have you got coming? And I told them, this particular show, we had about 6,000. 
but it's not about that because not all 6,000 come to your stand. It's about everything else to which they kind of go, yeah, I get that. Um, and it's really important for us, I think, to, to be able to articulate the reasons, the emotional reasons for going to a show opposed to just the business reasons. Yes, the business reasons are important, don't get me wrong, very important, but it is actually about an emotional engagement. And Chris Hughes' arm, double A, double M, I think is relevant for whatever you're doing, whether it is um, even writing an article, but if you're organizing a festival, a trade show, a consumer show, an awards do, it doesn't matter what it is, any, any gathering of people, you know, anticipation, arrival, moments and memories, I think a re- it's a really good mantra. And that's a, another thing which we now, we don't actually wander around the office going um, um, every day, but we do apply the principle <laughs> to, to what we're doing. <laughs> Having been, been in the William Reed offices, I've now just got this vision in my head of everybody walking around chanting. Yeah, we do Tai Chi first thing in the morning and then we do um. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's really refreshing to hear an event organiser talk about not chasing numbers because all the exhibitors we work with will quite often say, What's your objective for a show? And they'll say, we just want to meet everybody. And we try and tell them, you know, if there's 6,000 people going to a show, can you imagine how many staff you need on the stand, how big the stand would have to be? How on earth are you going to follow up with 6,000 people afterwards? It's completely realistic. You need to find the 50 or 100 probably. That's a really big number to just make it relevant for your business. And and I think think that... I would agree with that entirely because it is—it's not about the volume; it's, it's about the relevance. And I think the um, FaceTime project by you know, the stuff that the AEO do um, yeah. is really good because it teaches exhibitors how to exhibit. And it's quite difficult to teach a granny to suck eggs because you know I've, just, I've been doing this for twenty years, so I should know what I'm doing. So why should I do it differently? But it is so important. And we—I've had customers who've taken away seven hundred and fifty case case study might have been 749, but it was 750-odd leads, as in scans, and not a single one of them converted. So they're saying, well, it's it's no good. And they kind of go, well, actually, I think probably your sales proposition is wrong, or why you're scanning people is for the wrong reason. So you need to focus about what it is you're trying to do. And those are quite difficult conversations to be having, because you are telling somebody, it's like telling an advertising person that the, the advert they put in the magazine doesn't look very nice um, or doesn't doesn't get the message across and it so it's it is it is a difficult conversation to have but it is an important conversation that we have as an industry to get people to to exhibit better and more effectively because I know the old adage is standing on the stand and having a you can't smoke on a fag on the stand anymore but you know hiding behind the newspaper or, or of course now hiding behind your mobile is um it's really easy just to go there and just everybody walks past you. You've got to think about what you're trying to do and make it relevant. Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't agree with you more. I know and um, the conversations we have with, with clients of ours where we've done training and it is those guys who've been exhibiting for 20 years who kind of go, you can't sit there at the start of a workshop, arms folded, staring at us thinking, you can't teach me anything. And then by the end of it, they're kind of going, oh, actually, maybe I haven't been doing this as well as I could yeah. have been. And we had a case with a, a Maco UK who were at the Fit Show earlier this year and they panicked like crazy the last day of the show because they were about a third down on the number of leads that they would normally get, having gone through a training session with us and were really doubting us on whether we'd done the right thing. But actually talking to them now three months later, their follow-up process has been so much more efficient. They've actually got better conversion rates because they've done that first lot of filtering at the show and got rid of the people that just weren't relevant for them. Um, So it does, it makes such a difference. So 
Well, I do remember going to see one exhibitor who'd had a very big stand right at the front of the show, and the show will remain nameless, as will the exhibitor. And I walked, I walked past it three or four times on the first day, and I was thinking, my oh, God, I'm going to have to bite the bullet here. This bloke has seen nobody, absolutely nobody. So I bit the bullet and walked up to him and said, hello, I'm Andrew Reid, and how are you doing? And he said to me, he said, um, absolutely bloody marvellous, Andrew. Haven't had it. I couldn't have expected more. It's been absolutely amazing. I've seen three people. We've got three deals. Absolutely fantastic. We'll definitely be back next year. And I go, phew. <laughs> <laughs> so it is, it's not the volume. It is the relevance. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. So, so without having a crystal ball, we have a new prime minister in a position from yesterday. We've got Brexit on the horizon. We've got lots of things happening. What do you think is going to change in the industry in the next five years? What are you excited about? What are you nervous about? Well, um, so there's two there's two bits in there. There's there's the political angle of what do we think is going to happen. God alone knows because we have a <laughs> maverick prime minister, um, and there's lots of amusing photographs of him and Donald Trump flying around on WhatsApp and all the rest of it. And my view of of life is that the show goes on. If you look at the Italian economy, it might be in sort of meltdown, but you know they're all alive. They're all they're all buying and selling things. And they all get on with it, it, despite, you know, extraordinary governments and various other bits and pieces. So I think that, you know, the us as people are very um, um, resilient and we will go on and we will find a way of doing things and doing business the way we want to do it. Um, and interestingly, as a family business, in fact, I've got this email came through yesterday. And if I can pull it up, I will do so while I'm talking. It is what it is, and I'm sure we will be taken in a direction which won't please everybody because Aesop's fable says, try and please everybody and you won't please anybody, and we'll get something. But my point about it all is I think that the exhibition industry particularly is very resilient. Now, we might see some declining revenues because people are taking smaller stands or less people are getting involved. Yeah, I get that. But a lot of exhibition industries or exhibition companies are privately owned or entrepreneurial startups, call it what you like. Um, and interestingly enough, my niece who sits on the board as a non-exec has just attended the family business forum. And it is quite interesting because there's 4.8 million family firms in the UK, 18,000 of them are large to medium size, 85% of UK business are family owned. Family business, businesses employ 13.4 million people and the tax contribution of family firms is more than the annual NHS budget. And given the downturn on the um, fashionable, no, that's the wrong expression, given the, the, the focus on what you and I would call work-life balance um, and the snowflake generation world the world is a different place and the, the big boys are no longer necessarily attracting the talent so i think there's a really good opportunity for us in the exhibition industry because a lot of us are smallish medium-sized family businesses or privately owned businesses um to be able to recruit some really good talent which will then allow us to continue to succeed yes we'll face the pressures of the economic impact on in various categories and sectors but we still need to eat we still need to drink if you want to drive a bmw you want to buy a bmw if you want to drive an audi you want to buy an audi so there where there is a will there is a way and i'm sure that we will continue to do things 
Um, but it might just not be on quite the same scale in the next year or two. But I think in three or four years, we'll be bouncing around and happy and say, what was all that fuss about? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, I share your your optimism there in terms of we might, you know, let's just kind of get on with it now. And, you know, we might have a bit of a tough time, but actually we're pretty resilient in this country and we'll we'll get on with it and, and come out the other side. But I just wanted to pick up there on your comments about kind of young talent and recruitment. And um, as an industry, it's, it can be quite a tough industry. It's hard work physically. You know, there are long days on site. Um, there can be quite a lot of pressure. There's quite a lot of people management. And I don't know if for some young people, it's just not always seen as a desirable industry to get into because of some of those factors. So how do you think we can help recruit and more importantly retain really great talent in the industry? Well, I, 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 don't, I don't see any of those issues as, as you know, long hours on site and all this. I don't see any of those as problems because you go on site, it's bloody good fun. It's, it, you know, it's hard work, but it's really good fun because you are, if, if you enjoy people and you're a, a people person, then exhibitions is the ultimate industry to be in. Yeah, the, you know, the, the, obviously the different disciplines, there's the sales, the marketing, the operations, and we have projects as well as so we have sort of four groups of people. So there's, we get a, a cross-section of people and we go on site and we have a, you know, it's really good fun. And I think there's a, it's about the engaging with your own staff at an emotional level opposed to just, well, you do sales, you do ops, you do marketing, get on and do it. And it, if you can engender that enthusiasm in them, then that rubs off on the customers, and you know, we pay, we pay a huge um, or we pay a huge amount of attention to making sure everybody has a good time. Not necessarily when I say good time, I don't mean it's sort of party party. I just mean a professionally run, efficient, effective. You know, the operations department do not touch wood, fingers crossed, and all the rest of it have not had for ages and ages and ages anybody write in with a complaint. And and if you can do that, so if the, if the guys can turn up on site and have a smooth get in, then it's really useful for the sales team because when you start selling for the following cycle, everybody's happy, opposed to being negative. And if and I know it's it's sort of boring if the car park attendant is rude to you when you get there, you know that that really irritates me because there's absolutely no reason. I get it in the neck because the guy comes in grumpy, talks to the operation button grumpy, and then the whole thing's spirals down so it's really important and and i think that you people 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 really really important engage them and it's not necessarily about massive rewards and all the rest of it though different people will obviously look for that and i don't have a problem with giving recognition and reward where it's deserved not a problem at all but it's it's not all about money 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 it's about actually finding the people that are people-centric who are then capable of doing their specific um, individual skills that that we need and want to be able to execute stands or execute shows and um, you know, awards as well for that matter we do you know, we do a lot of award schemes here too well you're clearly massively passionate about the industry and um, have had a lot of fun over the years so tell us about the best event you have ever worked on in your career Oh, um, well, from a trade show, I think it would probably be, um, well, I don't know, no, pick one and everybody else gets upset you haven't mentioned theirs. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah. It's a little bit like thanking people after you won an Oscar. So. <laughs> it, is, it is a bit. I think that um, I'll, I'll start, I would start with an event first. 
And I think what was really exciting is a couple of weeks ago, we did two events back to back in the wine market. We launched the um, world's best vineyards. And that was, we had a new, a relatively new, well, it was a, that was a girl who didn't go to university, started in the events department. Her boss was um, removed reasonably quickly. She got promoted up and she has taken this concept of the world's best vineyard from scratch and we delivered it two weeks ago or three weeks ago now um, in banqueting hall and we got worldwide coverage. That was really exciting because the vibe in the room was unbelievably upbeat and everybody was, I mean, you know, it was a massive investment from our point of view, but everybody was enthusiastic and on the same page and getting it. And when you can create that environment, and I, I didn't create it, it was my idea, yes, but the execution was the events manager. She did a brilliant job. She found the location, she choreographed the whole thing. She even called the bloody slideshow and all the rest of it. And then to get that, that level of support and excitement from people literally all over the world, and admittedly not a huge number of them, but a, a, a number of them, was very exciting. And, and that just gives you a massive buzz. So from that point of view, I'd say that was my most exciting event to date. Um, the most exciting sort of large-scale trade show would probably be um, April last year, so April 18, when we did the big shows up in Birmingham. We um, had 1,500 exhibitors, um, and it was we did a it's William Reed. We did a big stand in the crossover between Hall. Uh, one and two up the top of the steps we put in a 29 meter screen mm-hmm. and it was just about doing something which hadn't been done before and it, you know a screen's a screen but going back to your point about what's changed in the exhibition industry technology allows us to do things differently and you can get a much higher impact for less cost and better quality now than you could have ever done in the, in the past but that's the same as you start with a black and white telly and you've now got fancy stuff when you can feel as though you're almost you know, sitting in the football stadium or whatever. But interesting, that's changing our view of colours, but that's, that's a different conversation completely. Um, so putting in that big screen was amazing because we, we in, in three days, we streamed more content than the BBC put out on their television stations in the UK in a week. Wow, okay. Which is, which is quite, you know, you go, whoa, that is amazing. Yeah. Um, and to pull all that together. And it had a, it's a, a big impact on our own employees, not just in, in the exhibitions division, but across the business, because they suddenly go, actually, wow, this is a big old business. We've got, you know, we've got all this going on and all that going on. And we're doing that. And we're doing that. And then people wandering past going, whoa, who are these guys? This is yeah. um, impressive. And, and trying to get the balance between not being too flash mm-hmm. um, and um, being successful is important. And avoiding that um, tech for tech's sake that we see quite a lot of the time now creeping in is people just using things because an agency's told them it's really cool rather than thinking, is this relevant to helping my customer, my visitor move along yeah. the path to purchase? And you, you mentioned a very strange word beginning with R then. Relevance. Correct. <laughs> it all comes all back of, to relevance. It's all about relevance, yeah. <laughs> so um, in all of those years then, you must have solved some really weird problems. So tell us about the strangest customer problem you have had to solve in uh, the show um strangest customer problem um now i i just i'm just trying to think of something weird and, and wonderful 
apart from the lions in a cage um, <laughs> back in the 80s. Which was, it probably doesn't get weirder than that, if that was one of your Which, which is quite, quite, quite a shame. But um, no, I, I, I think that there, there's a certain amount of stuff which is just, it's just boring when somebody tries to, you know, they, their high heel has gone through the carpet over a hole in a duct and all the stuff that goes with that. And you just kind of go, this is, you know, just irritating. In fact, and there, is a, there is an interesting anecdote, which is I have a, a little bit, because of my background, and I just talked about the army bit and all the rest of it, I've got quite involved in health and safety. And I do understand the principles of health and safety. And I think that it is an area which, um, as organisers, it is um, it's a really pivotal role, this whole piece of health and safety. So most um, medium-sized organisations will get the operations department to run the health and safety. And I remember the first time we did a proper interactive gig in about 2002, I think it would have been, we had a health and safety advisor who was working with the operations team. And um, we had a ch- uh, an ice sculptor on stage. Wow. And um, the guy came up, the health and safety advisor, I'm going to shut your show. I said, I'm sorry, I'm going to shut your show. I said, why are you going to shut the show? The bloke we're doing there was working with an electric chainsaw and it's a health and safety hazard. I'm going to shut the show. So I took him aside quietly and said, look, with all due respect, um, you are paid to give me advice on what you think is safe and is not safe. And if you think this is dangerous, then your advice is to say to me, you think it's dangerous. I make the decision about whether the show shuts or it doesn't shut. That's my call. And I will go away and do a risk assessment. So you fill out the piece of paper. And if you actually do a proper risk assessment, you can alleviate the risks and it's not dangerous. So we took him around the back, gave him a cup of coffee and carried on. But it, it, and it and it's those sorts of things, and I think it is it is very easy to just hide behind health and safety. Can't do that health and safety, and you go well. Actually, if you think about it, you can. And we had a I had a, a, a challenge with a, um, a national was it? I think they were Indian or Chinese or something. They, they were definitely not European. Building a double decker stand, mm-hmm. and the stairs were. Um, what's the word? Um, each each step should be exactly the same height and depth. That's the specification you get. And the second step was slightly out. Only, it was only about a quarter of an inch or something, slightly out. The break came, our health and safety got, well, I've shut this, doesn't work, you know, it's dangerous. I thought, so, so what's the problem? I said, well, you trip when you go upstairs. So I said, why are you tripping? And he said, he pointed out, you know, what the problem was. And I, even though I knew it was wrong, I stumbled going up the step. Going down was fine, but going up. Every time I walked, I was there, knowing that that step was, was incorrect, and I still stumbled. So we went off and did a little risk assessment. You know, what's the risk? Da, 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 and how do you stop it? And all we did was we put a, a, um, a rope across, which you had to disconnect and reconnect, which then broke the cycle of eyes look at steps, measure step on the first occasion, because we're all conditioned to steps being the same height, the brain automatically says this is the height for the next step. So your foot is raised the right height. But by breaking the cycle, you could go up and down the steps and nobody tripped. But we could keep the stand going. And it was a double-decker. So instead of closing off the top floor. And I think it's really it's about looking at that at the detail and going through it properly and carefully and then being, te- be, being prepared 
to accept responsibility because ultimately it's me that carries the can and I'm very clear about that and from an operational point of view in all of our shows if there's an issue talk to me about it and I will take the decision and I will be the person that because I'm the senior man present that um, carries the can stroke goes to jail because it's a very serious subject but it is not it doesn't have to be defining everything you do absolutely and I think it's a really again relevant point for exhibitors because we so often get feedback that uh, they're trying to spoil our fun they're trying to stop us having doing what we want to do and it's, it's just they're trying to keep people safe so if you just spend the time to think about is there anything on my stand that could possibly harm somebody and as you say you'll always be able to mitigate that and change it in some way so just think about it before you get there and it saves a yeah. whole load of hassle the safest show would be an empty show exactly <laughs> oops that, and we've got a problem yeah. <laughs> that many people that much power that much stuff going on yeah. there's always that's right yeah yeah especially when we start cooking on stages as well. So Absolutely. Um, so you've obviously worked for years in lots of very exciting shows. Just looking to, to kind of come towards the end of our chat now, but if you could work on any exhibition anywhere in the world, what's the one that you look at and think, ah, I just want to be involved in that one? I'd be the UK food shows in Birmingham. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let me rephrase that question. Well, Apart from your own shows. Well, I, I just, you know... Well, what? I mean, I could do a damn sight better job on the Oscars than they do. Um, <laughs> i confident of that. Um, so I, I'm, I'm, we're very, very focused on the food and drink stuff, on a, but on a global scale. So yeah, I, I don't, I, I'm, I'm happy. I'm, I do not covet my neighbour's event. Yeah. Um, well, I might not buy them, but I don't, I don't, I don't, <laughs> I don't want to. Um, Go and run it for a year and then come back again, as it were. Yeah, no, so, yeah. so I'm. It, it's uh, yeah. I don't have a a burning desire to go and move into the spring fair or something like that. Consumer no. technology or electronics. No, I don't know. I, yeah. I mean, I think the consumer stuff is exciting. It's 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 obviously slightly different, but I think that's I I get the the fun that that has, and I'm you know I'm looking forward to pushing the boundaries slightly in some of the stuff we do, but it's, it's, um, I'm very happy with, um, my in train set. Thanks. <laughs> and, uh, and you heard it hit here first folks, the uh, Oscars will be brought to you by William Reed. In <laughs> so, quite, quite a promise you've made there, Andrew. So I look, I look forward to seeing that come to life. So um, our very last question of the show, if you could change one thing about the industry, what would you like to change? Um, That's an interesting question. If you change one thing, yeah, I would like to change the ownership structure and models around venues. Oh, okay. And you, and do you want a reason for that? Yes, please. Yes. Well, I think I think that the the, the exhibition industry is a relatively high margin industry once you get the model right. And there's an awful lot of private equity flying around in this market at the moment because you can't, nothing else is making any money anywhere really. So you put in, you buy a show and you can get a return. That kind of makes sense. And then venues become property plays because, you know, we only have a certain amount of square foot in the UK. And I'm talking about the whole of the UK, not in venue terms, just the size. We live on an island. We have restricted space. So the, the land proposition changes from being 
this is a very nice place in the middle of nowhere to this is now a center of of attraction of people and therefore people come in to make money out of the venue and the estate that it sits upon whether it's in london or birmingham for that matter and the dynamic changes and the focus changes and all of a sudden the whole modus operandi changes and i think that that is going to be the single single biggest driver to the way in which we work and operate because it will define what we can and can't do and i think that that's a a dangerous model to go down because at the end of the day it is very easy to kill the fatted you know kill the goose that lays the golden egg mm. and i think we should be really mindful and aware of that um and it's a tricky one and i understand business pressures and i understand it completely but if i had a magic wand that's the one thing i'd change and in your head is there a solution that you think an obvious solution to that or is it just one of those tricky questions that will take some time it's a tricky conundrum and i think as organizers we have to work very carefully with the venues to get them to understand the core proposition and the business model that surrounds the whole exhibition piece or live event piece and it's not just about um the um organizer bringing a show it's the economic impact that that has mm-hmm. and the whole infrastructure that goes around it the employment and the you know the AO economic impact study is really important for getting that message across and we need to be careful and responsible and we need to talk to government about business tourism and tourism is is so so important in so many levels to so many people um and we mustn't forget that and it it is easy to take your eye off the ball and make a couple of grand and move well a couple of hundreds of thousands of pounds or hundreds of thousands of millions of pounds and disappear off and go fine yeah. and actually leave the rest of the world sort of floundering around in the, in the dark slightly yeah. which would be a which would not be good for lots of people and lots of businesses too and I think, um, you know, we it's do need serious, to be, isn't it? it is Sorry. a little bit, yeah, <laughs> ending on a rather serious yeah. note around sustainability yeah. and ecosystems around venues. But um, but it's a, as you say, it's something that um, we can't think of exhibitions in isolation as a three day thing that happens in a big warehouse. It's got to feel like a venue is part of a sustainable long term plan for a region that brings in tourism, brings in revenue continuously yeah. and yeah. just for a show. So. Um, so yes, we ended on a rather serious note. So, uh, but still, um, it has been a really good chat with you for the last half hour. Thank you so much for giving up your time to talk to us. Overrun, I do apologise. That's okay. <laughs> you were very interesting, and the big announcement about Re- Willie Reed taking over the Oscars is is the highlight of the show. So yeah, well there you go. <laughs> so Andrew, if people want to get hold of you, I guess they can find you on LinkedIn or visit the William Reed website. I don't really do LinkedIn too much. I'm not okay. a great LinkedIn, um, but it's you know, you know where I am. Yes, you are in Crawley. If anybody wants to talk to you, they can always be. Correct. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for joining us. It has been a pleasure speaking to you and good luck getting ready for, I think the restaurant show is the next thing on your agenda. That is, that's the next uh, trade show we're doing. So tell us when and where that is. That's in beginning of October at uh, Olympia on the assumption that the painters and decorators aren't in mucking it around. (laughs) Too much. <laughs> well, have a brilliant time at the restaurant show and thank you so much for joining us this week. That's a pleasure. See you soon. Take care. Bye bye. So, thank you to Andrew Reid there of William Reid for his thoughts on the exhibition industry. 
And remember, folks, you heard it here first. William Reed to run the Oscars in 2020, maybe. Let's uh, stay tuned and see if that happens. So coming up on the next episode of the Exhibitionist podcast, I am delighted to say that we have Daniel Priestley joining us. You may remember a few weeks ago when I came back from Portugal, I talked about what I'd learned from his book, Key Person of Influence, while I'd been enjoying the sunshine and offered Daniel an invitation to join us on the podcast, which he thankfully accepted. So we've captured that conversation with Daniel and it's a really interesting chat about how individuals and businesses can use trade shows and live events to build their influence and really be at the heart of their industry and some really useful and practical, straightforward, down-to-earth advice from Daniel, as always. So look forward to that episode dropping in a couple of weeks. That's it from us for today. As always, you can contact us via the usual methods, but if you head over to www.inspiringexhibitors.com, that's where you'll find the blogs, podcasts, and ways to get in touch. As you may be aware from our newsletter, we are currently about to conduct a huge piece of research across the whole industry and, in fact, across the globe. We've been sending invitations out to a few hundred participants now who we've got lined up ready to answer our questions about what the shape of the trade show and exhibitions industry will look like in 2025. So if you want to get involved with that, please do give us a shout and we will send you the details of how you can get your voice heard and we'll be hoping to publish that white paper in quarter one 2020. So hope you have a good couple of weeks, whether you are summer holidaying or still at your desk trying to plan a busy autumn of exhibitions. If you do need any help from us, please do get in touch and happy exhibitioning. Hop over now to inspiringexhibitors.com to subscribe to our newsletters, blogs and future podcasts, keeping you up to date with industry insight. While there, you can also find out more about our new book, The Exhibitionist, Inspiring Trade Show Excellence. Once again, thank you for listening.